Today is Thursday, June 12th. Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast. We're back here again. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, we've got uh, our regular set of correspondence. Like correspondence, I don't know if that's the best word. Um, but our regular set of, uh, of talking heads, I guess. That's, that sounds fair enough. Uh, I'll go around the table and introduce my, uh, my co-hosts, uh, Charles, Chuck, the man, monster. How are you today? I am uh, heartbroken. Uh, just received word that Chris Angel is not going to do an interview with us. Uh, so I'm weeping. I've got boxes of Kleenex, and, and I hope to be able to get through the call without breaking down completely. Well, at least you get to keep both of your eyes this way, you know. Worry about that. Um, <laughs> Jeff Simpson, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you very much, Hunter. Um, Dave Schwartz. I'm pretty awesome. Excellent. And last but definitely not least, David McKee, how are you? I'm fine. Excellent. Um, we are uh, we are hoping for all of you listeners out there, we're hoping that we uh, we sound okay. We're spending we spent a grand total of about ten seconds working on our levels, so uh, I noticed the last podcast I went back and listened, and uh, it was a little quiet sometimes. So hopefully this time around it's a little bit easier to hear everybody, uh, and you know we'll uh, we'll keep tweaking that as we go to make sure we make we make it sound as good as we possibly can. We uh, we record this podcast using a conferencing service, and unfortunately that doesn't give us quite the flexibility that you have if you're in a studio with real microphones and whatnot. So we work with what we've got. But it does work, and uh, you know can't complain too much. So um, we've got some uh, some topics for the week. Um, there's one thing I wanted to talk about that uh, that wasn't on my list. That's just out of the gate, and it is sort of related to Las Vegas. I think I think it will become much more in down the road, and uh, that's uh, the Apple iPhone. Um, Apple had, last year released their iPhone, which is their cell phone, if for those that aren't aware what it is. Um, this week they announced its successor, which is basically a, a new version that is, uh, uses a faster data network and also has a GPS chip in it, amongst some other improvements. Um, the reason I mention it is, for well, one is that I am working on an application for the iPhone that will basically, uh, and I'll give a lot more information as we get closer to launching it, but basically it's, um, it's a hyper uh, guide for tourists that, will, that lives on the phone that has all kinds of interesting information in it. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that's, I think, very compelling about the iPhone is it's got this, it's location aware. So, for instance, uh, with our application, you'll be able to say, um, hey, iPhone, what, tell me what the best nightclub is that's near me. And it can go out and say, oh, well, you're at Caesars Palace. So, while you know, I could tell you that light, or sorry, the bank is uh, right around the corner, actually, Pure is going to be closer. So, we get to do cool things like that. And I've been having a ton of fun working on this thing. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'll definitely be sharing more with you guys as I get closer, but I think these kinds of products in general could be very interesting for Las Vegas as as we uh, as they progress and as they become more commonplace. The kind the idea that you can get a ton of information right there in your hand, it can be up to date always. You know, you can see all kinds of applications from the kind of thing I'm working on to the actual casinos pushing out this information about attractions. So you walk into 
Uh, and some people might consider this to be uh, scary and unwanted, but you'll see you walk into Win Las Vegas, they can pop up a thing saying, hey, we've got tickets for Larev that are on sale for tonight because we've got extra seats. And stuff that they've just never been able to really do before. Uh, I, I I think it's a very interesting uh, development, and I'm you know going to be watching it very closely. I think uh, you know definitely casinos are planning that. Um, two year, I guess it was a little less than two years ago, um, probably about September '06, when I talked to Gary Loveman before they had announced uh, plans to uh, privatize the company. That was that a a network like that that would encompass all of their center strip properties, um, you know, Caesars, Rio, Bally's, Paris, um, Imperial Palace, uh, and uh, Flamingo and Harrah's. Those pro- they they want some kind of an application like that for their uh, you know for people's PDAs or phones or whatever, and uh, it would do exactly what you're suggesting. It would tell people, um, hey, um, are you interested in um, dining tonight? You know, you're a you know certain level card holder. Would you like to eat at this place? You know, some place where they maybe don't have as many reservations as they'd like, and so they can push discounts. They can you know reward better players. And uh, they expect that, you know, they think there's a really nice overlap. Um, you know, right now they do that sort of at the machine only or at the total rewards kiosk. But by extending it to the phone or the PDA, they think they can, you know, get folks anywhere on their properties. And uh, that's definitely something that Loveman talked to me at length about. And so, you know, they have yet to, you know, roll that out. But um, presumably, um, that's something that they would like to do pretty soon. Well, I, you know, I think that definitely will happen. And obviously, you know, the, the other, the uh, the other side of that is, you know, gaming. And we saw, you know, that that idea get floated and approved uh, for some mobile gaming uh, terminals, I guess. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I don't know how that deployment went, um, but I expect to see more of that in the future. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a very compelling way to use some of these new technologies. And they're really, you know, these things are really getting to the point now where they're more mature and really they're getting less expensive. I think one of the biggest stories about this iPhone thing this week was that Apple's going to be selling them for $199, which is a very aggressive price and will only continue to go in that direction. So it's pretty interesting stuff. And there's an, another story uh, some of you may have seen. Uh, I can't remember who it posted, but they're predicting that the uh, market for applications alone on the iPhone was going to hit like a billion dollars in the first year. Uh, and, and, and if you add into how uh, an application like this, uh, where, where casino companies can overlay uh, their own sort of marketing on top of this uh, – I guess walk around GPS guide, uh, you know, adds a, a whole lot more kind of money and value to what these applications make. You know, the, the potential for what for what mobile uh, mobile things are going to do is going to be huge. It's going way beyond what uh, you know. If anybody's ever been to the uh, Experience Music Project in Seattle or any other uh, museum, you know, you walk around with the headphones and the thing, and you point it at the you know, the exhibit and it tells you what it is. 
you know, you're basically going to get an instant message in your pocket. Boom. You know, hey, a $5 crafts table just opened up, knowing, like, whatever your play is. You know, I, I see this thing as being potentially, you know, a real major, major game changer in the way people interact with resorts. Now, I agree. Thinking that they're going, you know, uh, <clears throat> the concept of, of the mobile gaming thing and giving people a gadget, another gadget, to, you know, hold on to, you know, to carry around, you know, with themselves and not lose and whatnot, you know, that that seems a little kind of questionable to me. Uh, you know, it'll probably make its money, but if they really wanted to deliver uh, value to people, piggybacking it onto a uh, an open source theoretical, uh, or not open source, but an open kind of application, which you can... Uh, sort of hook APIs into, you know, could be a real, real, real major game changer in the way people interact with Las Vegas or anywhere. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, for what I'm working on, I'm definitely focusing on in La, on Las Vegas. And part of that is because that's, where, that's the kind of content that I have. Because the technology is neat, but the content is still extremely important. Um, and so, you know, that's where my content's at, so that's what my focus is. But, yeah, I mean, I can see these kinds of things working for all over. And um, this isn't the Apple Apple podcast, so I don't want to linger on this for too long. But I do, you know, I do think it is, it is, uh, it does have interesting uh, hooks into Las Vegas. And I'll just, I'll, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say similarly, you know, they just announced the uh, Microsoft Surface tables at the iBar. Right. Uh, so people can sit at the table and then flirt with the people at other tables next to them and send drinks around or photos or video cams or things like that, you know. So there's a little equal time for Microsoft. I don't know if... Uh... Yeah, I mean, Surface, Surface is, micro, is, uh, is is a touch-based interface for, like, a tabletop system, and they have all kinds of different ways for using it, um, like some of the some of the applications that Chuck just, just uh, described. And, and they installed this at the Rio, which is, I think, one of the real first deployments of this technology that they announced about a year ago. Um, you know, there's a there's it doesn't use Surface, but there's another bar at Mandalay Bay called Eye Candy, which uh, is also sort of a technology kind of bar, in as much as they have like little cameras and messaging between booths, and you plug in your iPod and play music, I guess, or something. I honestly don't know. I've seen the Eye Candy bar during the day, but I've never been there at night. I don't know how popular those features are. Some of them seem a little bit strange. Like the idea where you know you can't just go up and talk to the person next to you. You're gonna like send them messages and stuff like that. Um, but who knows? Maybe they, maybe it will end up being popular. But um, let me just also say regarding the, the application I'm working on for any of you guys um, and any any person that has a Las Vegas blog or podcast or website that has an iPhone or an iPod Touch, um, feel free to contact me because I'm gonna be giving out free copies to anybody that is interested. Uh, and that obviously goes for any of you guys here on the call, if any of you are in that category. Um, I want to get it into the hands of as many uh, Vegas people as possible. So that's the iPhone. I think it's interesting. Definitely be talking more about what I'm working on, not to plug it too much. But um, I think it, uh, it you could see a lot more interesting applications coming out of it. So to move on, there was a big story um, last week with, regarding uh, MGM Mirage's city center project. Um, why don't, uh, David McKee, well, can you explain what happened and, uh, and where we stand today? Well, the, um, the 
union which was representing the construction workers on the project, uh, well, to back up a little bit further, um, a couple of weekends ago, a crane operator was oiling a crane while it was in operation uh, and was crushed by uh, moving machinery. Uh, the um, uh, building uh, trades union announced that there was going to be a uh, the, a work stoppage until their concerns were addressed, which not only shut down city center for about 24 hours, but Cosmopolitan as well, because of the same uh, Perini Building Company uh, was handling both projects. Uh, Perini uh, met with the union, supposedly acceded to all their demands, and then some, and everybody was... Uh, back at work within about a day. Um, then a, a representative of the federal OSHA was in town this weekend and got uh, some some static from the uh, construction union because he was meeting with, uh, with construction and uh, uh, development executives, but he wasn't meeting with them. So that was, that was emended. Um, a day or so after uh, after they opened fire on him, so that's. I mean, I'm just working from memory here, and but that's to, you know the best of my recollections, the the quick and dirty version of what happened. Right. So you know we've all we've all seen this, and that you know the, the Las Vegas Sun did a series earlier this year on safety, and um, you know it it really highlights some of the. There's a lot of development going on in the Strip, and while I, I don't want to say that these things are expected, because that sounds kind of strange when we're talking about people's lives, but you do a large project, and these things can happen. It's just the reality of it. And but not not at this rate, not that's with, the thing. with this much frequency. That's the thing. So, you know, the question is, are these guys moving too fast, and is there a is there a conscious effort to sort of say safety be damned, uh, we've got to get these buildings up? Is there pressure coming from the the site owner, MGM Mirage, in either well, direction? Well, the Wall Street Journal revealed earlier this week that, that MGM stands to collect a substantial bonus from Dubai World if the project is, is completed on time. And, uh, you know, I don't want to draw too big of an inference there, but, but when – you know, when you have that kind of information at at the back of your mind, and you're you're trying to finish a product, uh, I mean, you know, who among us could say it, it honestly would have absolutely no effect on our thinking? Now, in in his company's defense, Alan Feldman pointed out that that a slowdown of the pace of construction was not among any of the union's demands. So, I mean, all along the the construction workers union has had a certain degree of complicity in this, uh, and it's you know they've it's taken them a while to to really, you know, to get militant about the situation there, despite a higher than average number of construction deaths. So, you know, so why they uh, why they didn't uh, push for a a slower construction timetable? I mean, that's that's the uh, in this case, I think hundred million dollar question because I believe that's the sum of money involved. If I could jump in here for a second, yeah, it just seems to me like that this is a very complex 
construction project. And I think it's probably pretty hard for anyone who's not involved in it, either with the contractor or with the design or actually in the construction client to, to determine really where the blame lies for this because, you know, personally, I don't really know too much about what goes into the actual mechanics of doing all the, you know, how they build this and who's ultimately and where the responsibility is and who is at fault, you know, whether it's the workers or the contractor or the site owner. So I just think it's it's, it's very complicated. Well, in terms of its public statements, MGM has been rather ignoble. They've they've basically placed all the blame on the workers and given Perini a blanket endorsement. So, you know, if Perini had decided that they were going to hang tough on this um, and just uh, try and wait the, the workers out, I'm, I don't think that the, the, the expense and delay of that would necessarily have sat well with, with MGM Mirage, but the company had given them a public benediction to do so. Yeah, but I've got to think that a lot of that expense and delay would go back on the Perini. Um, you know, certainly they've got, if, if MGM Mirage has that, that kind of incentive with Dubai World, I've got to think that there's, you know, that, 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 that uh, the buck doesn't stop with MGM Mirage. It's got to go back. Yeah. There, I mean, they're definitely, I don't know specifically with City Center, but, but bonuses and, uh, and fines related to hitting or missing milestones are definitely pretty standard for this sort of thing, for these kinds of contracts. So it's definitely in Perini's interest as well to, you know, hit these milestones or exceed the timeline. I mean, it, you know, it's good for them to do that from a financial perspective. No and, 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 there's prob- and, and it's probably fair to say that there's blame. Um, and I think, I think uh, Dave Schwartz is exactly right. Exceptionally complex subject. Um, probably blame to go around. Um, it's probably not fair to exclude workers. Um, for being blameworthy, but certainly not fair to pin all the blame on them. I think the uh, federal and state occupational safety and health administrations um, probably bear uh, some uh, some blame, um, general and subcontractors. Um, so, you know, it is a very complex subject, um, it, it, and it's a very, I mean, the project is so big and uh when you look at the number of towers being built in such close proximity, and to me that's one of the big differences, um, uh, you know, when you compare city center with with some of the other projects here, you know, you rarely have um, so many cranes operating on the same on the same um, you know parcel, even if it's a big parcel, and so there it it, it is very complex, um, but you know, I mean in the the last big growth spurt on the strip the uh late 90s i think it was sort of a and and it's not to say that people ignored them but i think that most you know there there was sort of a rough average when i came into the market um other business journalists that i talked to said oh, you know we're going you get about a death on every big hotel tower that goes up now this is a project that has a big hotel tower but then you know several boutique hotel towers um, several condo hotel towers a big retail pavilion and all in very close proximity so i mean it still seems six still seems like a bit like a big number but um, you know, I'm not I'm not positive based on, you know, the number of towers, the number of workers, the number of dollars 
that the number is, you know, that incredibly out of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a standard deviation or something. Mm-hmm. But is is the complexity of the project part of the problem? I mean, you know, is is it practical or even a, well, I suppose it's practical because they're doing it. But is it advisable to be to be doing that much density of construction within, especially within such a within you know that that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I know that in one of our uh, our Sun reporter uh, Alexandra Burzon's story, she quoted some one of the one worker on another project saying you know in in other cities where he's been they would take you know it would take 30 years to do a project that's going to take you know a few years here and uh you know in in and and I've seen that on prior resorts um when wind built wind Las Vegas um and you know not only you know what would normally have been the staging area for the project um that area in front where there's a mountain um you know Wynn insisted on building a mountain um you know primarily to block the view of the new frontier um which thankfully is no longer there but but uh and and that made it very difficult on Tony Marnell who's not who's not building um uh encore for him but but that was a very difficult staging for him and he had to do it um further afield and it was it was a much more difficult project and i think that a lot of you know the a lot of these projects have complicating factors like you know not probably none like city center but you know there has been a death i believe at at fontainebleau i know there's been one at cosmopolitan um these are very big, complex projects, and I and, and certainly we shouldn't accept um, that there will that there um, are going to be deaths. But I think that the you know that whatever safety measures, reasonable safety measures can be taken should be. But that doesn't mean I think that you know it doesn't mean that you know somehow the I, that the operator is remiss in trying to you know build a big project. I mean you know I think that you got to take things into account and try and be as safe as you can within reason. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that just, you know, saying we're going to build a, you know, $9 billion, you know, eight building project is just out of bounds. Yeah, I definitely, I agree with you there. Yeah, I think that the, the operator and the casino people are going to be guided by what the engineers and what the construction people tell them. You know, with land prices being what they are, you would want to build a 300-story a tower if you could and take advantage of of the land. But, you know, um, the engineering of that probably isn't possible. So I think they're going to be guided by that. And if they sign off, you know, if the engineering types sign off on it, I don't know to what extent you can blame the, the um, client. Now, I have a question for those of you that, you know, talk to people on a regular basis in Las Vegas. What – Given you know all that we've that we've just said, and I think that it sounds it sounds reasonable. There's a, you know there's a lot of it's it's not a simple topic. But what what's the word on the street? I mean, well, how do people the either the average Las Vegan or you know industry people how do they feel about this issue? Do they feel like it? Um, you know, do, do the people on the street feel like it's the greedy corporation that's doing anything to make a buck, or is it more measured? Any any idea? Well, the people on the street in Las Vegas, uh, maybe surprisingly, are are typically relatively skeptical of the uh, casino operators. So, 
you know, I don't, I don't think that you'd have much trouble finding some, uh, you know, suspicion of uh, bad faith um, on on behalf of the, uh, you know, on the part of the operators. If you talk to the average, uh, you know, Las Vegas or Las Vegas Valley person, but. I think that, you know, and, and looking at this issue particularly, I think that, um, you know, I, I, it's sort of just recently um, been focused on um, first here at The Sun, and I think uh, most of the rest of the media has picked up on it uh, pretty closely. And I think that, you know, folks are saying, you know, that there's there is there is a problem that needs to be looked at. I don't think it, it certainly hasn't reached some kind of, you know, crisis situation where people are wringing their hands or whether it's or where it's leading the news day after day. Um, but um, and, and it's a story that, quite frankly, our newspaper competitor, the RJ, only recently uh, even looked at. Um, it wasn't something that as soon as the sun brought attention to the uh, the trend that they jumped on it. They have recently done so once there was the walk off on the job walk off from the job, but, um, you know, it certainly is not top of mind among folks here in the city. Mm-hmm. Would you guys all agree with that from what you hear? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was just curious to try to get a feel because, you know, sometimes the public sentiment is, is pretty different from the reality. It's a complicated topic like this is, you know, sometimes it's hard to uh, to distill it down to something that the average person can, can form an opinion on. Uh, quickly. So, interesting. Well, you know, hopefully there won't be any more um, major problems at City Center uh, until it gets completed. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully hopefully they can take some extra precautions that will help increase the safety on the site. Um, moving on, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Casino operators and their uh, their stock their stock price and some of the economic issues that are hitting Las Vegas. Now um, there there was a story I think that David sent me the link to a Motley Fool story talking about Las Vegas Sands in particular um, who have had a lot of downward pressure on their on their stock and also the other companies like MGM Mirage and, and Boyd Gaming um, are. Uh, their share price has fallen quite a bit in the last year. And now, of course, the the share prices across the board have fallen um, as we're in a tough, tougher economy. Um, but, you know, Las Vegas Sands is trading at, like, I'm looking right now, $54 um, compared to it was up over $100. 150 as late as, I think, late October. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a huge decrease. And MGM Mirage is a 41 and change, and I don't have Boyd on my chart, but, um, you know, a company like MGM Somewhere in Mirage, the teens right now. Yeah, okay, that sounds right. Uh, but a, a company like MGM Mirage, I mean, they have a lot of physical assets to the point where you could, I don't know what the market cap is at their current, at their current uh, share price, but... At a certain point, their assets are almost worth more than what their market cap is based on the, this incredibly depressed stock price. Um, you know, it, it's just interesting to see how this is going. Are are people not giving these companies a fair shake? Uh, um, you know, are they worried about Las Vegas, uh, average investors? And, you know, you look at something like $5 a gallon gasoline. Is that just going to crater some of these lower-end companies? Well, it's hard to say MGM and Las Vegas Sands are lower-end companies. And, I mean, 
I think it's inexplicable. I think you're right that the uh, just the uh, just the value of their these companies' assets exceed their stock prices. I mean, it, you know, looking at MGM's drop, I mean, from you know over a hundred in October, or barely at a hundred to, you know, I mean, of you know fifty. Well, I, just a very what are they at like? MGM Mirage is forty one, forty one bucks. I mean, it's insane. It's insane, and and uh, you've seen, you know, just uh, you know, very significant drops in Win, um, you know, very strong drop in Boyd and Las Vegas Sands. I mean, I think they're ridiculous, um, ridiculous sell-offs, um, and uh, you know, it's a it's 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 certainly a buying opportunity for somebody. Um, the uh, you know the 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 times are bad, but times are you know certainly not that bad. I mean, we're right. seeing like, you know, very small single digit 5% gaming revenue, you know, small drops in in numbers that certainly don't justify the big big sell-offs we've had. Um these companies with Macau Macau exposure, um certainly Las Vegas Sands primarily and also Win and MGM Mirage, you know, they're get you know, they get pummeled on you know, very weird small news out of Macau when the trends over there are just, you know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, they're just, they're they're so great long term. And, you know, all it takes is one negative report from one sort of different perspective. And, and, and you know, they, it hurts their prices. So I think it's inexplicable. I mean, the only explanation I can come up for, come up, maybe all these people who were investing in stocks, uh, casino stocks are putting their money into uh, oil price futures um, because you know there's just there's just no rational explanation from my perspective. It seems like a lot of this was really just crowd psychology and people panicking and you know I think people who show that they don't have much of an institutional memory or any real idea of this generally cyclical nature of the U.S. economy. You know, I would think that most people would know this by now, but these things do kind of run in cycles. Anybody who looks at a company that has a casino in Macau and thinks that over the next five to ten years that casino is going to lose money, I think, you know, probably should get their head checked out. It seems like that's <laughs> I mean, a safe bet. La- Las Vegas stands in particular. I mean, they have just been been hammered. And I think, David, if if I'm not if I'm not wrong, the article, the Motley Fool article, even you know mentioned Chapter 11 in the same phrase as Las Vegas Sands, which I think sounds crazy. Well, I'm you know I'm not an economist, so I can't you know purport to explain the the indices they were using. But the they, the article said that that if you go by these metrics that they use, then they're they're within the. Uh, the parameters that you associate with a company that's headed for Chapter 11. I'm going to see if I can pull the exact article up here out of out of my uh, email archives. But um, he was. Uh, now I should point out the Motley Fool had another article recommending Sand stock as a buy, but that was because at you know at sixty dollars or so it was it was the analyst considered it a bargain. And now it's I, barely above fifty. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how how Sheldon Adelson would feel about his his stock being, you know, being uh, talked about as though it were something you could pick up at Walmart. Uh, but it's uh, here we go. It's, it's uh, they they uh, talk about the list five deathbed stocks, and uh, some of these companies are in far worse 
shape according to the, the ratios and scoring methods that uh, Motley Fool employed. But uh, um, they, uh, let's see, for instance, Sands has an Altman Z score of 1.98, and according to the article, scores between 1.80 and, and 2.70 mean the, the company has a good chance of going bankrupt within two years. So I mean, take that you know with a grain of salt if need be. It's just it was an it was an interesting article that um, seemed worth flagging at the time. And I think that what what causes leeriness about Macau is that and I think to some extent Edmund Ho is trying to save uh, the the casinos from themselves. Is that when you look at the the narrowing. Of the mar you know, between what gets paid out to the junket operators and what gets paid to the government in taxes, the margin gets narrower and narrower. And if they if they do what Sheldon Adelson wants to do and have instead of having a cap on concessions, have an all out bidding war, then that you know that margin could could shrink to virtually nothing. I think that that's that's what Wall Street's looking at, and that's why they're they're leery about. Macau right now, um, and I don't think that's unreasonable. Although, general, my usual position on Wall Street is that it's got a manic depressive attitude towards the stock market. I mean, towards the gaming group, and that it's usually more bullish or more bearish than the situation actually warrants. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, this also connects back to some of the things that Jim Murren was saying and Terry Lani in their last quarterly call and Jim Rush. You know, they're not all that excited about the kind of multiples that they get um, for, as a gaming company for, compared to some of their brethren in the hotel, just the pure hospitality category. They don't really feel like they are being treated the same way, even though, the, you know, they have a very comparable set of uh, of assets. Um, so, you know, maybe this kind of thing could even accelerate that kind of talk, the talk of splitting companies into different components to try to, to, try to uh, help out on that front. Yeah, um, I've just got one more thing. Well, actually, two more things to add. First of all, specifically with LVS, you know, if you look at their, I guess, near to mid horizon, they've got the Singapore casino opening up, and that is probably going to be very lucrative. So I think even when, if let's when does that open? Years, I thought it opened around 2010, 2011, okay. maybe 2012. But it seems like it's in this in this kind of time frame where they're predicting possibly bankruptcy, and that just seems that. Uh, they could scrape together enough money to keep afloat until that happened if they're really... Yeah, I mean, I can't take the bankruptcy thing seriously. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, it, you know, I mean, obviously any company can go under any time, but that just, just seems so so insane. I'm bummed out about Jamba Juice being the list, though. But um, <laughs> I've been... As part of my job, I talk to a lot of reporters, and I had an interesting exchange with a financial reporter for a pretty major financial news organization earlier, actually it was last week, and she was trying to get me to say that, well, the party's over in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a hangover. The era of growth is gone, and everything is in the toilet. And I was trying to explain, well, you know, there's more, you know, in a dollar basis, there's more construction going on now than probably at any yeah. time in the city's history. So that's kind of yeah. how many And how many times have we heard that story? You know, Las Vegas is dead. It can't possibly expand any further. Yes. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of empty rooms. I mean, that that's the standard uh, people that just don't to look at history, they like yeah. to say that every single time. And and to think that the American economy, I mean, we've people have had to withstand um, a very drastic increase in in uh, gasoline prices as well as utility costs, 
And, I mean, there's just so much that the American consumer can take. And, you know, to think that the, you know, obviously this business is not immune to a uh, shrinking disposable dollar of, by by consumers, but it's certainly no worse off than comparable businesses. And, and, uh, and the casino industry has been fairly resilient i think it's been it's it's recently been resilient and uh for for folks to expect that something like you know bankruptcy from um mgm from from a company like sands barring some kind of catastrophic change in you know the chinese government's perspective towards casinos because they are very you know they are very leveraged and quite exposed in in china so you know if something bad happened there that's a company. You know that company would be by far the most susceptible to to trouble. But barring some kind of news like that, you know, it's a company that looks very strong. They have their Bethlehem Casino um, opening up in Pennsylvania. That should be a uh, you know quite. A, it's going to be by far the nicest. I, I from what I understand, the nicest casino probably in the state, and uh, um, should be able to draw folks from um, from the New York area as well. And I, you know, so I, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, that company is is on its uh, is is on its last legs. I think that, you know, most companies would be would would uh, be happy to trade, you know, be happy to trade positions with Las yeah. Vegas Sands. I think that's true. But wasn't there a story in the Sun this very day saying that this that the, what the recession that we're in right now is that this could actually be worse than the post nine eleven situation because. What because the factors we're struggling with now are ones that directly affect people's discretionary budgets. You know, and 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 that's and that's true. I mean, it, 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 but that doesn't mean that it's not something. I mean, you know, the nine eleven, the nine eleven, um, you know, shakeout was. You know, I mean, the business emerged from that and had its strongest years ever. You know, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. I mean, look at the meteoric increase in room rates. Um, you know, that was the biggest single contributing factor to, you know, burgeoning, you know, cash flows and profits. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's tough to sustain that kind of sharp incline for a long time. Um, and when it when it sort of crossed, when that upward trend crossed with you know these. You know the. You know we have we have the lingering effect of. Uh, you know what is it five plus years of war and the money that's sucked out of our economy and you know the impact on people's psyches and then you have you know utility costs going up you have you know increasing loss of jobs I mean there are a number of economic things that are hurting um, that are hurting the economy not not with not counting gas prices going up. So, you know, it's not a great economic time right now, but you know, I mean, unless you're unless you're a gloom and doom person who thinks that, you know, it's going to last, you know, 5 or 10 years, you know, the the, the you know, I don't think people are wringing their hands too much about the future of Las Vegas. I wonder if if MGM Mirage saw some of this coming across the horizon. And sold half a city center. Well, no, and I was thinking more in terms of the, you know, cutting back their their presence and prim and jeans, you know, from five casinos to one. That was 
because if if there's any place I wouldn't want, you know, I was, the Hunter was talking in the, we were in emails earlier today about companies that could be really hurt by the uh, situation in gas prices, and we're see, you know I think we're going to see that now with with Herbst where they bought a, ironically a gas company, but they bought a bunch of casinos out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, you know they're not Las Vegas and they're not California tribal casinos, and does that mean they're going to fall between two stools? I I think we'll find out in in the very near term here. And that is a troubled company. But what you saw in Prim and Gene and in Laughlin, you saw the big companies exit those markets. Now, it just so happened that MGM Mirage, after it bought Mandalay, was the only big company in Prim and Gene. Um, so, you know, and they sold off, um, they closed one and sold off um, three. Um, but they also sold their two, the two Mandalay properties in Laughlin. Um, you know, and and other companies. You know, um, Harris sold off their uh, their Caesar's Entertainment property, the Flamingo Laughlin, um, and that's now a uh, American casino entertainment property. Um, you saw Aztar liquidate um, its itself, and so you have a really a shaky operator involved there. Um, and you know, MGM Mirage had sold its Golden Nugget. Um, brand a long time ago. So you have those markets that are very susceptible to drive-in customer problems. Um, you know, they're they're all on very shaky ground. Laughlin, um, I've been down to Laughlin a couple times in the last few months, and I have never seen that market um, so weak. Um, I, I really, really fear for, for uh, the Laughlin operators. I think uh, very tough times ahead. Um, and, and obviously, their their tough times are ahead in Prim and Gene. Well, and Mesquite just came off getting hammered in April. Well, it's definitely a tough time, but uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, um, as we're on, you know, economics and finances of the casino industry, I'll sort of pivot to something else that was on the list, which I which is I thought interesting, and it was something I took from the Las Vegas Advisor, David, which was. Uh, talking about um, Macau and its occupancy rate for hotels. So, um, you know, as I believe you wrote, um, talking about uh, from April to last April, uh, comparing the two months, they had almost a half a million more guests um, checking into the hotels, but we also had a substantial increase in in the room inventory. So, the the gist of it is that um, you know lower occupancy rate because of the increased inventory, but there sounds like they're staying longer, which it was something that a lot of people were interested in watching because you know traditionally Macau has been similar similar to Atlantic City, a very day trip centric market, um, and this is something that I was I was very interested in watching as these Macanese casinos develop to see how successful they'll be at retraining these people to stay overnight. Um, any comment on this? I think this is an interesting story to watch these kind of statistics as we sort of see this market changing in front of our eyes. Well, you know, there's judging from just uh, looking at all the old casinos there, I think before the before the current wave of properties, we are static. Uh, before the current wave of properties opened, you know, there really isn't too much to want to stay at. You know, the, the hotels aren't really all that great, other than, you know, like the Mandarin Oriental and possibly the Casino Lisboa, you know. 
Uh, you now he's got the wind, fantastic, gorgeous place. You know, uh, uh, Grand Lisboa just opened its big hotel tower. Uh, the Hotel Lisboa, the smaller one, is uh, you know, redoing all of itself. You know, there's reasons to want to stay there. You know, before you just go, you gamble, and then you go home. So if you offer it, you know, people will take the option if it's if it's good. So I see it growing even more in the future. Yeah, I think they're just it's just a, a, a you know, growing pains thing. I mean, they're going to have to trade off the somewhat lower occupancy as a, average as a, you know, as as a uh, side effect of, of sure. getting so much more new and better capacity into the market. And and as you pointed out, the people are staying longer, which is which is the bottom line. Also, in that their the occupancy rate is much higher for the uh, for the high end uh, uh, room product than for the you know the the bread and butter stuff. So it sounds as though they're accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as the market develops, I've had discussions with people, and I've, you know, typically said that, I, you know, my belief was that occupancy rates, percentage-wise, were going to be pretty low in Macau because all of this extra capacity was going to come, come along, and it was going to take quite a while for the market to adjust. And a lot of people took that, uh, took that to, to mean that I was saying that I thought Macau was going to be a bust. I, I, the opposite. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think uh, it's any indication in the short term how it's doing. You just, this is not a short-term figure in a market that's growing so fast. I mean, the capacity, the supply is just expanding so rapidly. I don't think you can use it as a real indicator of much other than uh, sort of an interesting metric as it expands. I definitely – I would not look at a, a lower – occupancy rate as on a percentage basis and be worried knowing all the the things that are feeding into the market. Definitely. I think I think one one thing that's interesting um and 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 it's I, I was uh when you I thought it was astute you mentioned the similarity between Atlantic City and Macau um and you know Atlantic City has long dealt with that problem of how to get people to stay longer. Um, and, and it turned out that one of the answers for Atlantic City um, was to build nicer hotels. Um, and uh, certainly Borgata has shown that people will stay for a, a night or two or three um, if you give them a really nice hotel. Um, and the same thing, um, and it makes sense, um, is being shown in Macau. Um, Macau has traditionally been, like Atlantic City, a place where people go a few times a year, if not every couple weeks. I mean, for the you know the hardcore gamblers that these you know casinos uh, you know like to have as customers, you know many of their folks come back again and again and again. Um, that's not quite as that's not as true in Las Vegas. There may be you know there is some percentage of folks who drive up again and again and again from Southern California, but by and large, most Las Vegas visitors come every year, every, you know, three times every two years or whatever, uh, maybe even less than every year. Um, But Macau is trying to become like Atlantic City. They'd like to get folks to come to stay longer, but they also have this customer base of folks who are used to going a lot. And so it's it's a it's a tough thing to get people to stay a couple nights and yet come you know five or six or eight times a year. So that's a tough it's a it's a tough nut to crack. It's not um, a, you know I, I, 
it's it's hard to believe that they can ever get to the kind of you know extended stays that that Las Vegas enjoys, but they probably can get people um, some portion of the of the folks to stay for a night. I mean, in the past, what people did in Macau is they they gambled the entire time they were in the market. You know, they they got off the ferry, they went to the casino, they gambled and gambled until they had to get back on the ferry and go back, and that's all. And that's all they did, unless they went to unless they uh, you know went to a spa. So that you know that's that's what folks did in Macau. Um, it's and it's tough to train people to think differently about their visits. Um, but you know the availability of super nice rooms, you know, may have that may may be able to do it like it has. To a, to a limited extent in Atlantic City. Now, Chuck, I have a question for you, Chuck. And you might, yeah. and maybe you'll know, and maybe someone else will. Um, given this legacy of date of it being a day trip market, are, is anybody building um, a uh, casino with a no hotel, a very small, very small hotel in Macau? Is, are, or is everything more along the lines of a fully integrated mega resort like we see at the Venetian? Well, no. Nothing is on. Nothing is on the scale. What is all that? Nothing. Well, they don't need to build one. They already have one. It's the Sands and a bunch of those older places. Yeah, there, there's nothing on the scale of the Venetian. You know, that thing is. You know, it's the largest thing in the universe. Uh, the Sands didn't have a hotel. It just opened in uh, September of last year, so that was pretty much a day tripper kind of thing too. Right. Uh, Melco. Uh, Impel is uh, they're planning a, uh, a a property on the peninsula, which will be uh, just east, kind of between uh, the Wynn Star World MGM area and uh, the Sands, right on that park there. Uh, that they are targeting more for the day trip. It will have a hotel, uh, but it's not going to be as expansive. Uh, you know, something else just to, to, to kind of roll back just a little bit. Uh, there's there's a slide in the recent uh, win presentation to the Goldman Sachs uh, conference uh, where they, they kind of outline a lot of the the fruit that is hanging on the Macau tree that hasn't been picked before. Uh, you know, there's only 15,000 hotel rooms in Macau versus 130,000 in Vegas. But the gaming revenue in the cattle is $10.6 billion versus the strip $6.8 billion. Uh, you know, the number of gaming positions in Macau is, you know, half, of, or a little more than half of what there is in Vegas. Uh, non-gaming revenue, you know, is, is puny. It's like, a, it's like a, a drop in the well compared to what happens in Las Vegas. So, you know, it's just, it, there's a lot of opportunity for them to grow there, you know, training the market people, you know, learning to understand that, you know, you can come here and have some great, great food and uh, great, great times and do some other stuff other than gambling. If you stay for three days, you'll get all the gambling you want. You know, but you'll get all this other enrichment as well and have a nice, enjoyable time. They'll always be the day trippers for sure. But, uh, you know, it'll get people to think more about coming out for like a vacation, spending a little bit more time. Right. <clears throat> well, it's interesting to see. Um, I guess this is sort of I would I would say things are proceeding as uh, as expected, but it's interesting to finally see some some numbers to go along with it. So, uh, do you think? And this, I would ask Chuck this: Do you think that Macau's proximity to Hong Kong, which is already 
you know, a world-class city of the first order with, you know, excellent restaurants, excellent retail, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, both top top of the line and bargain shopping available. The the kind of, you know, Las Vegas sort of sits in isolation, you know, three or four hours away from from Los Angeles or longer um, from Phoenix. Um, and, and But folks from Macau, there's, there's sort of pattern for people coming into Macau, for a huge percentage of them, they're either coming from Hong Kong or through Hong Kong. And, you know, for those folks, you know, the folks who want to do the three days, they already can do it. They can combine a trip to Hong Kong and Macau. So there's the Macau gambling component, the Hong Kong, you know, tourism component. And I'm not, I'm just wondering if Hong Kong sort of undercuts um, and and it's convention, you know, convention stuff as well. Does Hong Kong undercut the ability of Macau, of ability of Macau to extend itself in that way? That's an interesting question. I do recall seeing a uh, some kind of report about the number of visitors coming to Macau versus coming to Hong Kong. Uh, it was it was, was kind of I don't remember the exact numbers, but but it seemed like you know Macau's growth was on verge to rocket past, believe it or not, uh, Hong Kong's visitation. You know, Hong Kong being a huge hub, you know, and now being essentially, you know, the size of, <laughs> goodness, I don't even know, the size of uh, Echelon. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's, it's pretty surprising. But the people are coming not just from Hong Kong, you know, by the ferries, but they're also coming from other places in the Pearl River Delta and up mm-hmm. to uh, the provinces in China as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly. I think they both help each other. You know, I, I probably would not have gone to Hong Kong and spent a bunch of money if it wasn't for Macau. And I'm sure, you know, maybe I'm an isolated case, but I think it's, uh, you know, there's, there's some ring for that as well. Yeah, I mean, I could just say I haven't been to either, but I wouldn't really be that interested. I mean... Personally, while I probably would enjoy Hong Kong, I would not be making a point of getting trying to get a trip together if it wasn't for Macau. So there you have it. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up for the day. We're at just about an hour. It's been it, it, last time was a little bit long, and that's fine. Um, I did want to just end with um, a little bit of info. Um, this is our tenth show. Uh, I wanted to thank all of you guys for participating. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me. Um, looking statistics for for visitation and listenership. Um, you know, the website has been visited tens of thousands of times, and and the show is listened to uh, every episode by a couple thousand people regularly. Plus, and those are subscribers. Plus. We have a lot of ad hoc listening that goes on on the website because you can just go there and listen. So it's, there's definitely an audience that has that has gravitated towards the show, um, and I think you know in a large part due to uh, to you guys. There's a lot of great content and a lot of interesting discussions that come out of this stuff, um, and uh, you know I hope we'll get to keep doing it for for as long as we want to. But I wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you guys for being a part of it. It's a blast for me, and I hope it's fun for you guys, too. And also thank the listeners. Um, you know, we wouldn't be doing it otherwise. But uh, we uh, we really appreciate you guys hanging out. Well, and thank you for having the idea in the first place. <laughs> and I'd like to 
I'd nope. like to say that you know I'm I'm honored to be on the panel with all of you guys as well. You guys are uh, you know I, I read your stuff and and enjoy everything that you guys do. So it's, uh, it's my pleasure and honor. Just a big Likewise. love fest. <laughs> it's a gigantic well, big hug. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll keep we'll keep it up, and you know we'll uh, we'll keep going. There's a lot of interesting stuff to cover, and we're just entering a, such a fascinating period for Las Vegas, especially over the next couple of years as these places start to open. So it's going to be pretty interesting stuff. Um, okay, I'm going to go around and let people uh, let people say where you can be found. So uh, so Chuck, where can people find you this week? Uh, VegasTripping.com. All right. Um, uh, David McKee, how about you? LasVegasAdvisor.com. All right. Dave Schwartz, if someone wanted to track you down, where would they go? They would go to DieIsCast.com. And Jeff Simpson. I'm going to, uh, in, in addition to teasing my normal home, um, in Business Las Vegas and LasVegasSun.com, um, in a week or two, uh, the New Yorker magazine is going to do a uh, um, a little uh, expose on my uh, friend and yours, Sheldon Adelson, and and uh, I think the Sun and and even uh, yours truly will get a mention in that story. So that will be my first time uh, mentioned in that in that magazine, and uh, hopefully they won't treat me too poorly. Congratulations. And, yeah. uh, you know, Jeff, make sure that you, uh, if I don't see it on my own, make sure you send me a link because I would love to post the link for other people to check out as well. Will do. All right, guys. Have uh, Thanks again. Have a wonderful weekend. And um, I will talk to you guys soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Take yeah. care. You too. Okay. See ya.